0: Well here we are. We're here at another transition point point. and uh, you know God has been so faithful to us connect over the last five years and, uh, and I'm excited for the next adventure that God has us on but we're, we're, we're closing a chapter right now and, and I, I just want to honor Ricky and Christy and just say more than thank you. Uh, Christy you've started something here Um, you know, I've talked with you a couple times. It feels like unfinished business because Christy was with us. Ricky and Christy were with us from the beginning. And then uh, the worship leader at the time, Ryan, was was mentoring and coaching Christy to take over. And and then circumstances happened and they had to leave and and I just kind of felt like there was unfinished business. But then God, about a year later, brought Christy and Ricky back to us to finish that business that, that he had planted in your heart to be a worship leader and to be a worship leader here at Connect. And so man it's just an an honor for for me to to welcome you back and and gene as well just to have you guys come and be a part of us again but now we're here at another crossroad and and you're leaving us again and and you've really started a great work because christy herself has been coaching and mentoring the team and 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 just seeing you know what bubbles up to the top and so uh Christy had made mention earlier, uh, introduced Nicole, and maybe some of you uh, didn't see that or came in late. Nicole is going to join and continue on what Christy has started. She's going to work with the team and continue to coach and mentor. And we're going to see where God takes us in the future. I'm excited about what's going to happen, but I'm also excited about what God has done through you guys, uh, just being the worship people here. And so give him another hand clap, would you? This is just a little token, it's from your Connect family. It's just a card and a little gift token from us to you guys. We just thank you guys so much. I, I want to bring you guys down in front, and we're going to pray for the Hales. They'll be back to, to do our final songs at the end, but I just want to take this time to honor them, and whoever wants to come up and lay hands on them, let, let's pray for the Hales as they, as they leave and go to North Carolina. <laughs> Father God, we thank you so much for this family. God, what a blessing they have been to to connect. And and to to each one of us personally and individually, I know all of us have stories, wonderful stories of the relationships that have been built between us and the Hales. And God, I know that you have them on a, a wonderful adventure like you have us on a wonderful adventure. And so we just pray a blessing over this family, God. First of all, we just pray for travel mercies and we just pray that all the details would come together and they'd be able to leave and, and just everything would work out well with them moving a household from one part of the United States to the, the other end of the United States, God, over to North Carolina. And Lord, we just pray the transition would be smooth and there'd be times of, of rest and peace knowing that you have all things in control and you're guiding and shaping and molding their steps as they leave. And uh, I just want to say thank you for them, God. We just pray a blessing over them and, and just the whole transitional move. Uh, and Lord, I, I know this isn't goodbye, this is see you later. And so we just pray to that end that we, we'll see you later. But uh, we pray a blessing over them right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So much. God bless you all. So like Patrick said, he'll be available at the back uh, on your way out if you'd like to uh, give a donation to the Gideons. Um, you know, I just think it's really important for us to, to place God's word around, around the world, right? So that's really good. And it's really neat that we talk, that we had the Gideons today. Because I'm going to be talking about the Bible. So this is my Bible. Well, it's not really my Bible, but let's pretend this is my Bible. I was going to bring my Bible and I forgot because I use it the digital copies all the time. For those of you that grew up in church or have been around faith, you might say that, that you were told that everything in the Bible is true. I, uh, you should read it, you should memorize it, never put anything on top of it, and you should never ever tear any pages out of it. And what was the takeaway when you were taught those things in Sunday school or maybe by your parents or uh, maybe in youth group? the Bible is the foundation of my faith. That, that's what that conveys to you, that the Bible is the foundation of my faith. But at some point in time, if you're like me, you've run into stuff in the Bible that confuses you. There are things in the Bible that confuse me. You might see stuff in the Bible that seems to be contradictory. Contradictory. Or the descriptions of miracles just seem too good to be true. All kinds of people today are attacking the Bible. In our, in our social media, there's a tweet here that I have that I'd like to read. This is from Dr. Pascal. It says, uh, the most if it's old, yes, talking about the Bible, if the most powerful uh, being were to write a perfect book, wouldn't it make it timeless, self-explanatory, and universal? Instead, it's obscure and full of displays of jealousy, short-tempered tantrums, and immoral teachings. That's one doctor's point of view on social media. Many people are attacking the Bible today, and most of us have just been told to just believe, instead of being taught how to understand and dissect the Bible and the different. Books of the Bible and, and why it was brought together in the first place. So, a lot of people have really good questions about the Bible. We're in a new series today, and this is day one of our new series that's going to last probably six to eight weeks. And we took a survey a few weeks ago. We asked connectors in Bozeman and also here in Gray Falls, what were some questions you had before you became a Christian that were confusing to you? And then, now after you've been a Christian, are there any questions that you have? about Christianity that you'd like to have answered so all of these messages are designed and they're tailored around the questions we received a few weeks back one of the questions was this why does the bible seem so contradictory to itself why does God make it so hard to understand we're taught that it's simple but there is nothing simple about it that's a really great question and that's the question that we're going to use today to springboard into what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. You know, I heard a story this week of a of a of a young adult who was told by a Sunday school teacher that because he believed in dinosaurs, he was going to go to hell. What? <laughs> He's no longer a believer. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me. And and I think we. Christianity, Christians in general, can do better than that. I think God expects us to do better than that. Today I want to answer the question about the Bible. Is there a disconnect? Is there a disconnect in the Bible? Why does it sometimes seem so confusing? So let's start with some basics. The Bible is comprised of documents by 40 authors written over the course of about 1,500 years. Each document is a book in and of itself. History books, poetic books, prophetic books, as well as letters. It's a collection of books and letters is what it is. Christians believe that these authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus' apostles taught as well. Over centuries, these books, they were actually scrolls and parchments, were meticulously copied, and I think this is really important. Scholars or scribes were trained to copy everything perfectly. Any copies that were found to have errors, even punctuation errors, were systematically destroyed. The idea that the books of the Bible have been mistranslated or miswritten over time is simply not true. We have ancient copies of the Bible of the Bible documents that confirm the accuracy of the copies. And the degree of accuracy is astounding with what archaeologists have found really over the last 100 years. In fact, we have more ancient copies of the biblical texts than any other historical documents in the world, any other work. But what's more important to talk about what, is, what are these documents say, let's start with the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word testament actually means covenant. So I might refer to it as the Old Covenant. So let's talk about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. The first book of the Old Testament is Genesis. And it's the book of beginnings. One of the most important characters in that book is Abraham who was the first patriarch for the nation of Israel. Genesis tells us that God made a big promise to Abraham. And I want to read that out of Genesis 12, 2 and 3. You can follow along on your electronic device, or I'm going to also have it up here on the screen. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Did you catch that? I mean, what, we, if you've been around the Bible, you've probably heard that before, but he said all of the families on earth will be blessed through you. All of the families And so here's one of my first points is that God's plan was global from the beginning. God's plan was global from the beginning with his covenant with Abraham. And a few chapters later, God formalized the promise to Abraham through a legal contract called a covenant. And the covenant with Abraham, you can read, it's in Genesis 15. It was unilateral and it was unconditional. The promise with Abraham was unilateral and unconditional, meaning that God made the promises and God's faithfulness was not contingent on Abraham's performance. The ceremony of this covenant included a sacrificing of several animals, basically cutting them in half and then walking in between the halved carcasses. That's how this ceremony went down. And the message that was being conveyed through this sacrificial ceremony was, if I fail to uphold my covenant promise, let it be done to me as it has been done to these animals. That's what God was saying to Abraham. Powerful stuff. But what's fascinating about the covenant is this, God alone passes through the sacrificed animals. Abraham doesn't. It's God that passes through those sacrificed animals. So the covenant is unilateral, one-sided, and it's unconditional. God guaranteed that he would keep his promise, and he did. God did keep his promise of that covenant with Abraham. So now we finish reading Genesis and we get to Exodus, and we find that Abraham's descendants have become a nation, and they've left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they've arrived at Mount Sinai. And Moses was leading them. And the second book of the Old Testament is called Exodus. And we read that God, again, makes a covenant. But this time, it's not with an individual. This covenant is made to the whole nation, the whole nation of Israel. And this is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was actually on last weekend, if you, if you watched it, with and Heston. It's usually on around Easter. I love that movie. But that's what this is signifying, this covenant with the nation of Israel. And eventually, the Ten Commandments became about 600 plus different rules and regulations that the Jewish people called the law. And the law was in the form of another covenant. Now, this covenant followed a different legal tradition that was common in Moses' timeframe in Moses' era. It was called a a bilateral covenant. suzerain treaty. Bilateral suzerain treaty. You probably never heard that before. That's why you come to church on a snowy blizzard day. (laughs) Suzerain means one person is superior to the other. So God is superior to the nation of Israel is what that means. Bilateral means both parties have responsibilities. Conditional, the treaty said this, if you do this, I will do this, and if you don't, then I won't. That was the bilateral treaty agreement. Another way, uh, and it's important for us to understand this because this covenant was temporary. The covenant, the old covenant, was temporary. God never intended it to be a permanent covenant. And so that's different than the covenant that he made with Abraham to make him a father of many, many nations. And it looked like this. The covenant was between God and the nation of Israel, not between God and individuals. That's important for us to understand. So if the nation obeyed God, then the whole nation was blessed, even the bad people, even the evil ones. But if the nation disobeyed, then the whole nation was punished, even the good ones, even the good people. When we read the Old Covenant with 21st century eyes, it seems unsophisticated. And it even seems barbaric when we look back at the Old Covenant. There's all kinds of things that people couldn't eat. There's things that people couldn't wear. It just seems weird, really, to us today looking back on that Old Covenant and we don't understand because of the culture of the time. Additionally, the penalties for breaking the law were brutal. Many offenses carried with it the death penalty, including laws against sexual immorality. And if you were caught with your pants down, it was curtains for you. Now remember, the Old Testament is a history of of the nation of Israel. It's the history of real events that happened in a time that was very, very, very different than ours in 2019 today. And although it sounds kind of strange to us, in its ancient context, the Jewish law was superior in every way to the laws of the surrounding nations in that time period. And, and here's what the law brought to the nation. It, it protected vulnerable people like women, foreigners, and children in ways that no other legal system did. And I talked about it being brutal. It was a brutal time back then. And that's really what this law brought. Scholars consider the Jewish law brilliant in its time. And it became a model for for many of our legal systems even today. But I want to make this point. Please understand that this law was for a specific nation in a specific cultural context. The old covenant was never intended for you. The old covenant was never intended for me. It was written for Jews living in another place in another time under different agreement with God. And so here's the good news. God had a different plan for you and God had a different plan for me. And I have here in my notes, everyone in the room should say hooray! Hooray! (laughs) God had a different plan for you and for me. Now we're going to fast forward several hundred years of history. Uh, Israel kept its end of the bargain and God blessed them. Well, then Israel disobeyed and then God punished them. And it cycled like that over and over and over. And for those of you that have read the Bible for many, many years, you understand that, boy, they just couldn't get it right. You know, it's easy for us to be armchair quarterbacks, right? Man, you guys can't learn. You just keep getting punished. What's up with that? But the second half of the Old Testament is a long section of prophetic books. Man, they're beautiful, but, and sometimes they're hard to understand. Right, Ricky? We, we went through Joel a little bit. <laughs> uh, we did Joel as a men's group for a little while. Yeah, we stopped that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it was bad, but boy, I'd go to work a little depressed. <laughs> I mean, Really? but Joel has its place. I don't want to beg on it. But the beautiful thing is that prophets called Israel back to obedience to the covenant. But the other thing was is that the prophets also reminded the people that something new was going to come. Something new was going to happen. And so when you read the prophetic books, man, it's all about pointing to the new, pointing to what was to come, and that's exciting. Isaiah 49, verse 6, or part of verse 6 says this, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. He's talking to the nation of Israel. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Man, that's powerful stuff right there. Again and again, they kept saying God had something new. It just wasn't here yet. God had a global purpose. And it was going to be something completely new. And so when you turn the page from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, you find the New Testament and you find the beginnings of the New Covenant. And that new covenant was Jesus. And we celebrated, once again, Jesus' resurrection last week. Jesus was the new that God had been promising throughout all of the Old Testament. For hundreds of years, 39 books of the Old Testament all pointed to the new that would be revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus was immediately at odds with the Jewish establishment. If you've ever read any of the Gospels, you understand what I'm talking about, and that's the first four books of the New Testament. They liked the old. They loved the old, and they wanted to stay in the old. They didn't want the new. Jesus didn't follow all of the traditions, and he was viewed as a radical. God bless you. That was an exclamation point. He was viewed as a radical. If you remember, there were times where he was healing people on the Sabbath. And man, he was getting the business for doing stuff like that, wasn't he? But Jesus is like, no, you, you don't understand. You're living in the old. I'm bringing about the new. He didn't revere the temple. He did not revere the temple the way the establishment revered the temple And this was blasphemous to the leadership of the time. Matthew 12, 6 says this, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Man, Jesus was revolutionary. They couldn't believe he was saying stuff like that. The religious authorities were going bananas because of the things that Jesus was talking about. They understood him to be a threat to everything that they valued, the old covenant. You know, and sometimes I think, we need to be honest with ourselves, sometimes we misunderstand. We think that Jesus came to launch Judaism 2.0. He didn't come to launch Judaism 2.0. He came to develop the new covenant, something different. But the Pharisees rightly understood that Jesus wasn't a reformer. He wasn't a reformer. He was starting something brand new. And here's what we see in the book of John. I quoted John earlier, but this is Jesus' words again. John 13, 34 says this. So now I am giving you, what? A new covenant, new commandment. A new covenant, it's in my head. Love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other and then a little further on and and we read this during our communion time luke 22 20 after supper he took another cup of wine and he said this this cup is the new covenant between god and his people it's not an update it's not an amendment or or some kind of attachment it's new, it's an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This is key. This is key that Jesus said this at that time right before he went to the cross. And he gave his life on the cross for you and for me. Jesus became a covenant sacrifice. That's what Jesus became. He became A covenant sacrifice. Remember Abraham? Remember the covenant God had with Abraham? It was because of a sacrifice. It was just like that. A sacrifice sealed the terms of the covenant with Abraham. And what was the covenant? That God would make Abraham a father of many nations and that through Israel there would be salvation. And there was. This wasn't a covenant like the one he made with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. The new covenant was unilateral, it was unconditional, and it was permanent. It was unilateral, it was unconditional, and it was permanent. And then here's the kicker, it was for everyone. Everyone, individual, if we call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, we get ushered into this new covenant with God. So that's the big story here of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant and how it relates to the New Covenant. And so I want to go back and just answer a couple more questions here. So the first question we had was, why does the Bible seem so contradictory to itself? Why does God make it so hard to understand? We're taught that it's simple, but there's nothing simple about it. (laughs) Well, you're right, it, it is hard to understand and it's not simple. But here's the cool thing. The Bible doesn't contradict itself when you understand the story that God was unfolding from Genesis all the way through to the end in Revelation. When you dig in to what was revealed from the start to finish, we find out that it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story, but it's complex. There's a lot of things that we need to understand in cultural context and in covenantial context and when the time was perfect then Jesus came to establish the new covenant here's another question the old testament mosaic law why does it what does it say about the character of god he seems so brutal well you should be able to answer that question now from for yourself because the mosaic law tells us that god cared deeply for disadvantaged people, but the Old Testament law provided protections for those people who otherwise would be exploited. I made mention of that in my teaching. But it also prepared a way for Jesus. It all points to Jesus. So it speaks beautifully of the plan that God had from the beginning and his unconditional love. Another question, and and this one is, (laughs) is, is kind of funny, but... I have tattoos and I notice men at church have tattoos as well as some women. And it says in the King James Version, which I believe, it says no markings on the body. Well, I plan to get some more tattoos. Will God forgive that? (laughs) Oh, man, that is just hilarious. Because I have tattoos and Christy has tattoos and Ricky has tattoos. There's a lot of us that have tattoos, right? But remember what I talked about, about the old covenant and the new covenant. That command against tattoos was part of the old, old covenant. That covenant isn't your covenant. That covenant is not my covenant. So for those of us with tattoos, we don't need to feel guilty. And for those of you maybe that have been wavering on the fence and maybe been like, I don't know if you should have a tattoo. Uh, understand that's that's the old covenant. That's not That's not the new covenant. So... I guess what I need to say is just kind of let it go. (laughs) Just, Just let it go. It's okay. We can have tattoos. It's fine. You don't have to. If you don't want to, that's fine. So those are some of the questions that kind of spurred some of the thoughts that we had today about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And now next week, we're going to talk a little bit more. It's going to kind of be, is there a disconnect part two? So today was part one, but I want to end with this. You know, one of the big problems we have with 21st century Christianity is that a lot of us Christians mix the new and the old covenant. We mix it up because we don't, we don't understand what I just explained to each one of us today. A lot of people are really confused because they've been told the whole Bible applies to them when it was never really what God intended it to be. And I, I want to talk about this just for a minute. You know, Christians in the first centuries of the church, they didn't have this problem because they didn't have Bibles. For hundreds of years, they didn't have what we now know is the Bible. They had the teachings of Jesus that were passed on by the apostles who were the firsthand witnesses to Jesus' death and his resurrection. So some believers had part of Matthew or maybe a, a, a body of believers had the whole book of Matthew. That would be something. You'd, you have to be kind of rich to have that, right? Or some had the book of Mark or some had a letter from Paul or, or a letter from Peter. They didn't have what we have today. They didn't have the Old Testament scrolls. Now, many of the first Jewish Christians understood the Old Testament and they probably had gone to synagogue and learned about all that stuff for years and years and years, but they understood that Jesus brought the new. Those first century Christians understood that Jesus brought the new, and so they weren't mixing the old and the new. And the the apostles wrote about this in the New Testament. They were, of course, Jewish Christians, and they reached back into the Old Testament. But if you look at what they reached back for, it was always for promoting Jesus and who Jesus was. Yeah, sure. Those writings were there. It was historical evidence. But they brought out the idea that even in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, everything was pointing to Jesus. They weren't mixing the Old Testament rules and regulations. And it was hard for them because for those of you maybe that know some stories from the New Testament, Peter had an issue with some things and Peter had to let go of the old covenant and God visited him in a dream and he said, Peter, you got to let it go. You got to let go of the old covenant because Jesus brought the new covenant. Remember, Bibles as we know them today weren't even created until the 4th century. Now, I want to be clear here at the end. I'm not saying we shouldn't read and understand the Old Testament. No, we should. We can learn a lot from the Old Testament. We can learn about God's faithfulness and God's love because even through all of the Old Testament, it was pointing to Jesus. And I love the Psalms and Proverbs. Man, there's some good wisdom in that and some encouragement from my heart as I read the Psalms. It's so awesome. But the old covenant is not applied to us today. It's about the new covenant, which is Jesus. So Christians in the first centuries would never have said that the Bible was the foundation of their faith. You know what they would have said in the first century? They would have said this. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of my faith. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Now, the Bible facilitates things, and we had the Gideon's presentation today, and it was awesome. So I'm not minimizing what the Bible means to each one of us in our lives, but I want us to think about this a little bit. It's the resurrection of Jesus that's the foundation of our faith. And the Bible facilitates us to teach us And so we can learn and through the Holy Spirit, illuminating things, truths to us, that we can refuse sin and ask for forgiveness and and be led as God leads us. You know, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't depend on the book. Remember that. It's historical documented evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead for you and for me. And looking back on this, sometimes we we can lose focus with that a little bit. His resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is not confusing and it's not contradictory at all. (laughs) It just is. Jesus died and rose again so that we might have fellowship with the Father. And that's the everlasting truth. That's what the old covenant pointed to. And then Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Establishing the new covenant, bringing salvation to everyone individually in the new covenant so that each of us could experience that. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what we had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said, He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive today as to when he wrote that. That's what's most important for us, is that God did something new through the resurrection of Jesus that's the simple gospel that we all need to know. And once again, I'm not saying that this book is not important, man. I love the Bible. I've devoted most of my life studying it, researching it, understanding it, praying over it. And Pat gave us a wonderful presentation again today about how God uses the Gideon Bible placed in different strategic locations. You know, they they say the highways and the byways, right? I mean, I remember that from other Gideon presentations, and that's true. It helps change people's lives, and I know that the Bible has changed mine because I've studied it. But remember, the foundation of our faith is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity today just to discuss the Bible, to discuss your word and how it applies to us today. And, And we can honor the Old Testament, Lord, and just understand that there is some rich, beautiful, complex things in it. But the Old Covenant always pointed to Jesus and then the New Testament just unfolded what happened. Jesus' teaching, his death and resurrection on the cross, and then how the, the first disciples and believers were starting to form pockets of believers that we eventually would call the church, because we are the church. The people who serve you are known as the church, and I thank you. Thank you for that. Oh God, as we're uh, just about a a moment in your presence, I just want to offer just a a time for those maybe that are here that haven't haven't called upon your name, Jesus, for salvation. I just want to give a moment for us to consider that. I'm going to pray, and if that's you here today that Man, you know, you've heard a lot about the Bible you, and, and maybe that was a stumbling block for you. You didn't really understand the old and the new, but now, now you do. And, and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be all in today. I'm thinking about you and I'm going to pray this prayer. You pray with me. Father God, I, I thank you for sending Jesus to, to be the foundation of the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus ushered in the new covenant between you and me. God, I, I, I admit I'm a sinner and I've blown it, but, but I want to serve you, Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want this relationship that's been talked about. So I surrender my life to you now. I ask that Jesus, that you change me from the inside out. And I believe that you are the Savior of the world. Save me today. I thank you for this new contract, this new covenant, this new testament that you've brought into the world, and I embrace it now. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.